This is Macro Horizons, episode 159, Flight of the Hawks, presented by BMO Capital Markets. I'm your host, Ian Lingen, here with Ben Jeffrey to bring you our thoughts from the trading desk for the upcoming week of February 22nd. While February might be the shortest month on paper, we cannot help but ponder, why isn't it March yet? The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates, or subsidiaries. Each week, we offer an updated view on the U.S. rates market and a bad joke or two. But more importantly, the show is centered on responding directly to questions submitted by listeners and clients. We also end each show with our musings on the week ahead. Please feel free to reach out on Bloomberg or email me at ian.lyngen at bmo.com with questions for future episodes. We value your input and hope to keep the show as interactive as possible. So that being said, let's get started. In the week just past, the Treasury market was remarkably volatile, particularly in the front end of the yield curve. The conversations around the prospects for the Fed to start the hiking campaign with a 50 basis point or a 25 basis point rate hike continue. Our take remains that 25 basis points is far more likely, although we're certainly open to the logic behind the argument to start with 50 basis points. But at the end of the day, we suspect that the committee will choose a predictable and measured pace to normalize rates. Now, that isn't to suggest that there won't continue to be debate between now and the March FOMC meeting. However, our takeaway from the minutes was that the Fed isn't actively contemplating a more aggressive start. And even Bullard, who had advocated a 50 basis point rate hike, seems to be recalibrating his rhetoric to at least allow for a quarter point liftoff. Further out the curve, and this is where we think it gets a bit more interesting, we did see 10-year yields test 206 twice. Now that is an important support level that we've identified and we suspect will at least in the near term function as a technical double top for yields or double bottom for prices. All of the uncertainties surrounding the situation in the Ukraine have further contributed to a flight to quality bid as risk assets continue to decline. Now, as we know, this will also lead to tighter financial conditions, which will also take some of the urgency away from the Fed to be more aggressive in the beginning of their hiking campaign. Implied in that observation is the notion that there won't be complete resolution regarding the Ukraine question by the time the Fed meets on March 16th. The curve flattening trend took a pause in the week just past, with two tens and five thirties bouncing off the recent lows. It warrants highlighting that this didn't occur in a bearish fashion, but rather the steepening was a bull steepening with the front end leading the rally. Obviously, the flight to quality flows were influential in that regard, but also by the debate around the pace of rate hikes and implied within that is the terminal rate assumption for this cycle. When we look at five-year, five-year forward OIS, we see a 190 level, give or take. Now, that's much higher than we had seen earlier this year, but it's not the 250 level that the Fed has communicated is their long-run policy rate number. Now, there will continue to be an ongoing debate about whether or not the Fed is able to get to that 250 level or even further into the 3 to 4% range for the terminal policy rate this cycle. 
The early trajectory certainly is relevant if the Fed were in fact to deliver 50 basis point rate hikes back to back during the first three meetings, that would materially recast the market's expectations for how far the Fed would be willing to push the terminal rate this cycle. But what we've heard thus far from the Fed suggests a much more measured approach. In addition, I'll make the observation that 150 basis points worth of tightening over the course of three minutes would effectively invert the yield curve, particularly twos, tens, and it would occur very quickly. Well, the Rams won, the Fed didn't hike, and the discount rate meeting was, well, just a discount rate meeting. It did start off as a relatively lackluster week insofar as what didn't happen in terms of monetary policy, but that didn't preclude some relatively sharp price action. I think it is very telling at this stage how much divergence there is in the market between investors who are expecting a very dramatic liftoff for rate hikes and a much higher terminal rate, and those who are looking at the Fed to deliver a slow and steady normalization of both policy rates and the balance sheet. If nothing else, it is a very exciting time to be contemplating the direction of U.S. rates. And in looking at the price action, it's a somewhat rare development that I would argue what was most exciting was what we saw in the two-year sector. After two-year yields reached as high as 164, we saw a 20 basis point rally in a sector that frankly doesn't show that much volatility all that often. And in the long end, after we saw 10-year yields reach that 206 level and 30s approach 250, what ultimately emerged was some dip-buying willingness in treasuries that was focused in the front end and gave us a little bit of a steepening reprieve from the flattening that we had been watching weigh pretty dramatically on 2s, 10s, and 5s, 30s. And as a point of clarification, we continue to favor the flattening trend, but expect that episodes such as what occurred in this week just passed, where we have a reprieve in the flattening, will continue to occur. And part of it is clearly a positional story, but part of it is also a reflection of the ongoing debate surrounding how many rate hikes the Fed will ultimately deliver in 2022 and 2023. And this brings us to a question we received this week, which was effectively, was what we experienced last week, the last big bearish and hawkish push that we'll experience for the next several quarters? Or is there the prospect for the market to once again start materially pricing in the chance of a 50 basis point hike and 10-year yields to stage a second attempt at getting back to call it 225? Our take is that between now and the March meeting, the prospects of pricing in another 50 basis point liftoff have significantly diminished. That doesn't mean, however, that as the tightening process continues, that a 50 basis point rate hike won't be contemplated by the market if not by the Fed. In practical terms, we continue to see 25 basis point rate hikes at March, May, and June, with balance sheet runoff announcement in July, all else being equal. Once the Fed has the information regarding the performance of inflation during the April, May, and June period, that is the point at which one might reasonably expect a debate regarding a 50 basis point hike to come back into the market discourse. 
And we also saw this in the minutes from the January meeting. There was no discussion surrounding anything other than a measured tightening campaign. And the most hawkish detail we got within the release was that some participants saw selling MBS from Soma at some point as appropriate. Now, even though investors latched on to that phrase, it really wasn't all that new information, given what we have already heard from several of the more hawkish members on the committee, that selling mortgages may be a way to get the balance sheet down even more quickly once the process is up and running at some point later this year. In addition, once the balance sheet starts running off, it will be a reasonable period between the commencement of the organic shrinking of the balance sheet and the point at which the Fed would even consider selling mortgages out of SOMA. As a departure point, we know, given the amount of maturities in the Treasury portfolio over the next three years, there will be plenty of opportunity for the Fed to reduce its overall balance sheet size. And of course, policymakers then need to balance the decision of selling mortgages directly into the market with the risk that it would disrupt the mortgage market at a point when we're already seeing the average 30-year mortgage rate nearing 4% for the first time since 2019. And aside from the balance sheet, we're also going to be very mindful of any fresh discussion on where the terminal rate may emerge from this cycle. The breakdown between front-loading the removal of accommodation, as Bullard has advocated for, runs up against the reality that any really aggressive hiking campaign runs the risk of inverting the curve. We've already seen 7s, 10s dip below zero, and the fact that 2s, 10s, and 5s, 30s are already back to multi-year flats begs the question if the Fed will want to tighten faster sooner or be more gradual in its rate increases to maybe bring policy to a higher finish line. We suspect the best gauge of whether or not this is going to be entertained is the performance of break-evens. In the 10-year sector, yes, we've pulled off the 280 peaks and stabilized in the 2.5% area, but if the Fed wants to keep inflation expectations contained as well as realized inflation, some discussion on a higher terminal rate is certainly not out of the question. And while it might initially appear counterintuitive, the best case for higher 10- and 30-year yields is for a more measured pace of policy rate normalization. The logic here is that the curve will be steeper and long-end rates higher if we have inflation coming through the system that investors believe the Fed is not adequately addressing. So, for example, if the Fed were to only hike four times in 2022 and inflation failed to moderate during the second quarter, that's a pretty strong case to have 10-year yields above 225, even close to 250. What we've seen thus far from the Fed, however, is a strong willingness to move forward with the rate normalization process and allow the market to price in six, seven hikes, and if, in fact, they deliver six or seven hikes this year, that will continue to flatten the curve and all argue to the point of inversion, particularly in twos tens. This brings us back to one of the classic debates surrounding the Fed, particularly on the eve of a hiking cycle. And that's this idea of what the Fed should do versus what the Fed will do. We've seen a wide variety of speculation regarding what the Fed should do to either shock the system to such a degree that demand is curtailed to such a point that inflation drops off dramatically, or that the Fed 
should commence the initial rate hikes on the more aggressive side. Now, this latter camp has certainly been reinforced by Bullard, who, while he reiterated the 100 basis points by the beginning of July comments from earlier in February, he did somewhat moderate the timing of that. So the idea being we might get 25 in March, but maybe 50 in May or June. All else being equal, we'll continue to focus on the communication from the core decision makers on the FOMC and the takeaway from the minutes and the other signaling from the Fed thus far has been measured and predictable over shock and awe. And this week, we're going to get a very timely update on what that means for demand in the sectors of the treasury market that are most beholden to Fed policy. On Tuesday, we get a $52 billion two-year auction, Wednesday, a $53 billion five-year auction, and then $50 billion sevens on Thursday. Remember, last month, we saw over a basis point stop through for twos at a yield of just 99 basis points. So 50 bips of cheapening over the past month should bring in enough dip buying interest to ensure at least a decent result for twos. Moving a little bit further out the curve, remember last year's February seven-year auction that tailed by 4.2 basis points, which was the largest on record, and triggered a lot of conversation if maybe the Treasury Department had finally hit the breaking point of supply, where there was just too much issuance for investors to take down. Now, what ultimately proved to be the case was that it was the proximity to Japanese fiscal year end that accounted for the bulk of that auction weakness. And considering the latest Ministry of Finance data from Japan showed net selling of $16 billion worth of foreign bonds, most of which presumably treasuries, to expect some softness in sevens until Tokyo's new year gets underway on April 1st would certainly be in keeping what we saw last year around this point in the calendar. And I'll actually add an additional nuance here, and that is that there was a macro story at the beginning of 2021 that was consistent with weak auction performance. That was a Fed that was at that point expected to let inflation run hotter than it had in prior cycles without delivering a quicker pace of rate hikes. Fast forward to Q1 2022, and what we see is a responsive Fed that I suspect will keep nominal auction performance reasonable. However, if we look at last week's 30-year tips auction, we saw a massive tail of 5.4 basis points. That is a clear indication that the demand for inflation protection has declined. And of course, this follows intuitively if you have a more responsive central bank that's willing to fight inflation at all costs which appears to be the case at this moment. And of course, this is all with the backdrop of the situation in Eastern Europe and what has been a deluge of headlines around Russian troops moving toward the border, Russian troops withdrawing from the border with Ukraine, and generally a very high level of uncertainty in the region. I would argue this contributed in a fairly meaningful way to the bid we saw that brought tens back from that 206 level. And in addition to that 30-year tips auction you mentioned, Ian, we also got the 20-year refunding this last week, which stopped effectively on the screws, a tenth of a basis point tail. And given that historically we've tended to see new issue 20-year auctions require greater concessions, I'm content to call the February refunding in 20s very well bid owing in no small part to the fact that on the cash curve, 20s are the cheapest point, and given all the unknowns that surround the situation in Ukraine, clearly investors were willing to add safe haven duration exposure at these levels. 
Another question in this context that we've received several times is whether or not the Fed will feel compelled to respond if the situation in Eastern Europe deteriorates further. What this Fed has demonstrated is a focus on the U.S. situation in terms of growth and inflation, most relevant at this point being the inflation side of that equation. And given the ramifications for energy prices and any potential flow through to U.S. consumer prices, if anything, escalation related to the Ukraine situation only reinforces the Fed's commitment to normalize policy. Now, this isn't to suggest if global equities are off 30% that we won't see the Fed moderate some of the rhetoric around liftoff. But unlike in prior cycles, Powell's Fed is very driven by U.S. fundamentals and has backed away from being the de facto central bank to the world. So no emergency Fed meeting this weekend? Of course not. The Super Bowl was last weekend. In the week ahead... Monday's market holiday will condense trading into four days, with the major events really on the supply front. We have 52 billion twos on Tuesday, followed by 53 billion fives on Wednesday, and this wraps up with 50 billion sevens on Thursday. All else being equal, we expect reasonable market participation and anticipate that the underwriting process will go relatively smoothly. Let us not forget that Friday, we see the personal income and spending figures for the month of January, including core PCE. Now, we already have the January CPI figures in hand, so within reason, we have a general understanding of how core PCE will play out. Plus, it's important to keep in mind that core PCE is far less volatile than CPI. In the background will be the ongoing geopolitical uncertainties associated with the Ukraine. There's an argument to be made that following the closing ceremony of the Olympics, that the world's attention will be focused squarely on the situation in Eastern Europe. We're certainly not suggesting that the timing of the Olympics is instrumental in the conflict in the Ukraine. However, in terms of the global media's attention, it will be interesting to see how that aspect of it plays out in the week ahead. While else being equal, we remain on board with the ongoing flattening bias that has been displayed by the Treasury market over the course of the last several months. Periods such as the current re-steepening are largely tactical in nature and a function of the fact that the momentum behind the move simply became overextended. And so a period of consolidation certainly resonates. From a flow perspective, however, Wednesday's five-year auction and Tuesday's two-year auction will put upward pressure on yields in the front end of the curve and subsequently flatten the curve. In an environment such as the one we're expecting in the week ahead, where monetary policy expectations are somewhat stable, the influence of treasury auctions will become more relevant, hence the extension of the flattening bias. Moreover, the willingness of investors to take down $155 billion worth of coupon supply over the course of three days will be a meaningful litmus test for investor demand at these outright yield levels as the Fed's hiking campaign quickly approaches. We've reached the point in this week's episode where we'd like to offer our sincere thanks and condolences to anyone who has managed to make it this far. And as daily commutes return and home offices go dark, we'll always look back fondly on the elastic years. 
Thanks for listening to Macro Horizons. Please visit us at bmocm.com backslash macrohorizons. As we aspire to keep our strategy effort as interactive as possible, we'd love to hear what you thought of today's episode. So please email me directly with any feedback at ian.lingen at bmo.com. You can listen to this show and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast provider. This show and resources are supported by our team here at BMO, including the FIC Macro Strategy Group and BMO's marketing team. This show has been produced and edited by Puddle Creative. This podcast has been prepared with the assistance of employees of Bank of Montreal, BMO Nesbitt Burns Incorporated, and BMO Capital Markets Corporation. Together, BMO, who are involved in fixed income and foreign exchange sales and marketing efforts. Accordingly, it should be considered to be a product of the fixed income and foreign exchange businesses generally, and not a research report that reflects the views of disinterested research analysts. Notwithstanding the foregoing, this podcast should not be construed as an offer or the solicitation of an offer to sell or to buy or subscribe for any particular product or services, including, without limitation, any commodities, securities, or other financial instruments. We are not soliciting any specific action based on this podcast. It is for the general information of our clients. It does not constitute a recommendation or a suggestion that any investment or strategy referenced herein may be suitable for you. It does not take into account the particular investment objectives, financial conditions, or needs of individual clients. Nothing in this podcast constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a representation that any investment or strategy is suitable or appropriate to your unique circumstances, or otherwise constitutes an opinion or a recommendation to you. BMO is not providing advice regarding the value or advisability of trading in commodity interests, including futures contracts and commodity options, or any other activity which would cause BMO or any of its affiliates to be considered a commodity trading advisor under the U.S. Commodity Exchange Act. BMO is not undertaking to act as a swap advisor to you or in your best interests in you, to the extent applicable, will rely solely on advice from your qualified independent representative in making hedging or trading decisions. This podcast is not to be relied upon in substitution for the exercise of independent judgment. You should conduct your own independent analysis of the matters referred to herein, together with your qualified independent representative, if applicable. BMO assumes no responsibility for verification of the information in this podcast. No representation or warranty is made as to the accuracy or completeness of such information, and BMO accepts no liability whatsoever for any loss arising from any use of or reliance on this podcast. BMO assumes no obligation to correct or update this podcast. This podcast does not contain all information that may be required to evaluate any transaction or matter, and information may be available to BMO and or its affiliates that is not reflected herein. BMO and its affiliates may have positions, long or short, and affect transactions or make markets in securities mentioned herein, or provide advice or loans to, or participate in the underwriting or restructuring of the obligations of issuers and companies mentioned herein. Moreover, BMO's trading desks may have acted on the basis of the information in this podcast. For further information, please go to bmocm.com slash macrohorizons slash legal.